And we are so excited to announce something brand new here at Bayshore Community Church. Available now on any of the app stores, either Apple or Android or even Amazon, is the exciting Bayshore Church app for your mobile device. Now this app is chock full of content for you to use to engage with Bayshore. There's a sermon archive where you can browse past messages from both campuses. There's ways for you to sign up for classes, for events, for small groups. There's events calendars so that you don't miss anything that's happening. There's even a Bible reading section where you can get daily updates on where we are reading in the Bible. Also, this app has a great new giving feature, a very sleek and efficient way to easily give anytime you like and also have reoccurring gifts. So be sure to check out our app. You can go to bayshorecc.org slash app. That's bayshorecc.org slash app. And find links to download the Bayshore Church app. Okay, everybody, we're in a series called The Church, and we're basically studying the book of Acts. And if you miss some of these messages during the summer, no worries. Every one of these messages is sort of self-contained. And today we're looking at a great, great passage. Acts chapter 5 is going to be our main focus today. Uh, we're also going to read a little bit of Acts chapter 4, the end of Acts chapter 4, because these two uh, chapters kind of come together. They are related to each other. When you see the chapter divisions in the Bible, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're inspired. You know, the Bible's inspired, but where we put the chapter divisions, that came much later, like, uh, you know, 1,200 years later. So that doesn't necessarily mean that that's a good place for some of these things to be. So chapter 4 is actually very closely related to chapter 5. And so we're going to read the end of chapter 4, and then we're going to uh, look at chapter 5, a big part of chapter 5. So let's begin. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, All the believers were together in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy person among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it in the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money to and put it at the apostles' feet. And verse uh, 1 of chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? And have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? <clears throat> yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who bury your husband are at the door. They will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. 
Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church. You know who heard about it, uh, uh, and all who heard about it, about these events. In verse 11, chapter 5, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on the beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Now, the, uh, the ending of chapter 4 really sets us up for what happens in chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. We have this, uh, this great, great person introduced in, in the in end of chapter 4. This guy by the name of Barnabas, who becomes later on, he becomes a, uh, a partner with Paul in his first missionary journey. Now, here's how Luke does that. Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and here's what Luke does constantly. He'll introduce a new character in a minor role. He'll have them walk across the stage, and we get introduced to a person, and then later on they appear a lot. Barnabas occurs 25 times in the book of Acts. He becomes a major figure, but we find him introduced for the first time in this story where he gives money from the sale of a land, uh, some land that he had. Now, his name really wasn't Barnabas. His name was Joseph, and which was a very common name in that day. So a lot of people were named Joseph. You know, if you uh, were in first day of school and asked all the Josephs to stand up, probably two-thirds of the class would stand up because they would name Joseph. Joseph was a very, very common name. And so sometimes they were given names to sort of identify them from other Josephs. And so Barnabas is his nickname given to them by the apostles. Now, I would wonder what your nickname would be if all your friends got together and they decided to give you a nickname. What would your nickname be? Maybe my name, nickname or your nickname would be Grumpy or Tightwad or, or, or Late, you know. I don't know what your nickname would be, but Barnabas means son of encouragement. And you know, when somebody's given a nickname, it reflects part of their personality. I have a dear friend who lives in Pennsylvania, Lewistown, Pennsylvania, a dear friend I went to college with, and uh, whenever he calls me, he calls me, he has a nickname for me, and he considers me to be a successful church person, and so he always calls me Bishop. He never calls me by my real name. Whenever the phone rings and it's Mike Bailey, he says, hey, Bishop, how you doing? He always calls me Bishop. And so sometimes we're given a nickname that reflects something about us. Now, if somebody's called Shorty, you don't expect them to be seven feet tall. Shorty reflects something about the person. When you think about Barnabas being called son of encouragement, we know that he must have been a very bright and positive person, that he was an encouraging person, that in fact his name, Barnabas, is from the Greek word parklis, which means to stand beside and support. So he's this supportive, warm positive person that sees the best in everybody. So you think about, you know, when Paul was converted, we'll meet him in a few weeks in the book of Acts. When Paul was converted, all the church was paranoid that he was a fraud. He wasn't really a Christian. And Barnabas saw the potential in Paul and he went and he brought Paul and introduced him to the apostles. So he stood beside Paul when nobody else would stand beside him. Now listen, this is what a good friend does. A Barnabas is somebody that stands beside you when nobody else will stand beside you. And I love that about Barnabas. So we meet Barnabas, and we know this about him. He must have been 
pretty well off. He must have been uh, wealthy. He's from an island called the, uh, called the island of Cyprus. Cyprus, if you look at a map and you see where Israel is, there's this nice island uh, just off of the Lebanese coast, and it's a beautiful tropical island. He was from that island. Now, maybe, maybe, this is speculation, maybe he owns some beachfront property because it's an island. Maybe he had this really, really nice piece of beachfront property. He sold that land because he cared about the poor in the church. There was a lot of poor people in the church. Maybe the people that were poor in the church was because they were now Christians. They were losing their jobs. They were being persecuted. We know that was something that happened in the early church. So we don't know why they were poor, but they were poor people. And this Barnabas, who has a compassionate heart, a a compassionate, loving heart, liquidated some of his assets, and then he gave the assets to the church. It says he laid them at the apostles' feet. It doesn't mean that he literally threw them at the apostles' feet. It means that he submitted them to the apostles so the apostles could distribute that money as they saw fit. He released and relinquished that money to the leadership of the church, and so they took that money and they helped the poor. So this was a, a kind of really wonderful thing to do. Now think about you know this. Now, it must have been public. It's in the Bible. It must have been something that everybody knew about. And so everybody's talking after church. Man, that Barnabas is is a neat guy, isn't he? Wasn't that something? He gave that money to help the poor. And our benevolence fund is just through the roof because of that incredible sacrifice. And everybody's talking about Barnabas. And maybe Peter and John, maybe they announced in church and everybody's applauding and everybody's excited. And there you've got these two people sitting there Ananias and Sapphira, and they see that. They see the accolades that Barnabas gets for that, and there's something in them that they want that same type of recognition. They want that same type of recognition. You know, it feels good to be a hero, doesn't it? It feels good to be a hero. I know we don't do things maybe to get recognition, but when you get recognition for doing something good, doesn't it feel good? Nobody's going to admit that, but it feels good when you're recognized for being a hero. It really does feel good. I remember when I first came here years ago when I was uh, in my early 20s and I was uh, the new pastor here and I was playing on the church softball team. And we had this softball team and uh, Dave Laramore back here, he was playing and a bunch of our friends were playing and we were playing softball and we had a game that we were, we were tied and it went into overtime. And it happened right over here at the Gumborough School here. And I remember that. I was uh, up to bat, and we were, and I don't know how many outs we would have had. I would like to say there was two outs and two strikes on me, and I'd like to say that, but I don't remember. But I remember I got up there, and I hit a home run, and we won the game. Now, how it happened was I slipped, and I closed my eyes, and I hit a home run. (laughs) And I ran around third base. And when I got to home plate, everybody's jumping up and they're hugging me and they're telling me I'm great. And the glory of God was on the new pastor. He hit a home run. It felt good. It feels good to be a hero, doesn't it? I mean, it feels good. When I was in junior high, 
uh, I was playing uh, junior high football, and it was, a, it was a September Saturday, late in September. It was autumn. The leaves were falling. There was chill in the air. I was dressed in my uh, football uniform, and I played fullback, and they called 36 dive on the second go, and I got a handoff, and I think we were on like the 10 or 12-yard line, and I scored a touchdown, and I went into the end zone, and everybody's jumping up and down on me, and it's one of the most incredible moments of my life, my first touchdown, scoring a touchdown. It happened to be my only touchdown ever in my football career, (laughs) but it was a wonderful feeling. It feels good to be a hero. We just need to admit it. It feels good to be a hero. When you do something good for somebody, you maybe do it in the right motives, but when you get a pat on the back, it just feels good. Maybe you, you're sitting at a, you know, a boardroom table and you can't, the company's stuck on something and you come up with the idea that solves the problem and everybody says, man, how, man that was great. That just feels good. feels good. And I think for Ananias and Sapphira, I think when they saw that, there was something in them that they sort of, they sort of wanted to do that too. And, and it could be, now we don't know for sure, it could be that their motives started out pure. It could be that they were just like, hey, we're going to do that too. And their, their heart was right in the beginning. And the closer they got to it, they decided to compromise their vow. And what happened was they made a commitment to give all the proceeds of this land that they were going to sell. Now, here's important for us to understand about the story. The story... And the judgment that fell on Ananias and Sapphira have nothing to do with them not giving all the money. It had nothing to do with them not giving all the money. They weren't smitten and judged by God because they didn't give all the money. That was not the point of the story. The point of the story is, is they said they gave everything, but they lied and held back part of it. They weren't completely honest about it. They wanted to look better than they really were. They wanted to look better than they really were. They wanted to let people think that they were really, really something. But in reality, there was a part of them that they were holding back. And here's what we know about the story. The story teaches us that God is not a fan of pretension. God is not a fan of pretension. God wants integrity. God wants honesty. God wants transparency. God doesn't want anybody in his kingdom pretending to be something that they're not. God does not want us pretending to be something that we're not. A couple weeks ago, my my granddaughter, Nora, she got in trouble, which is nothing new. She's always in trouble. She's the sweetest little thing, cutest little girl you've ever seen in your life. She's uh, just about four years old now. Well, she is four years old, and she's just the cutest thing. And, uh, and she's just a talker. Sometimes she calls me on the phone, and I can't get off the phone. She's just talking to me and talking to me. And so the other, other week, her, her brother, you know, little Nixon, Nixon is the sweetest little boy. He just is a lover. He just loves everybody, and everybody's his friend, and that's his new thing. And he tells his Mimi, tells Karen, you're my best friend, Mimi. And he'll tell me, Papa, you're my best friend. He tells everybody they're his friend, and he just loves your, he loves, he's just he's friends with everybody. So him and Nora got in a tussle, and so uh, they got in some kind of argument about something, and Nora said to Nixon, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. And it broke little Nixon's heart, and he was hurt by that because having a friend and everybody being his friend is his main objective in life. And so uh, Nora had to go on timeout, and she's in the 
corner in timeout. Stacy, her mother, put her in timeout, and she's standing in timeout. About 10 minutes later, uh, Stacy says to Nora, now, Nora, you can come out from timeout now, and you promise never, ever to tell your brother again that you won't be his friend. And Nora paused, and Nora said, let me think about it. Now that is my little granddaughter, Nora. And let me tell you something, there's something good about that. There's something wonderful about that. There's something incredible about not being pretentious, not pretending that we are something that we're not. God wants transparency in His kingdom. God wants us to be honest about who we really are. God doesn't want us to pretend that we are something that we're not. I remember years ago hearing about uh, this minister from Mobile, Alabama named Charles Simpson. And Charles Simpson said, you know, he, was, uh, he smoked cigars and he, was, uh, uh, and he was a Baptist pastor and he felt like he needed to quit smoking cigars. And so he was struggling to quit smoking cigars. And he said to the Lord one day, he said, Lord, I want to quit smoking cigars. And he said, immediately the Lord spoke to him. He said, that's a lie. You don't want to quit smoking cigars. And Charles Simpson paused and he said, you know, that's right. I love to smoke cigars. I mean, I love to chew chew and tobacco. I would smoke cigars while I'm sleeping if somebody would hold it for me. He said, I love to chew it. I love to smoke it. I love to spit it. I love tobacco. And he said at that moment, all of a sudden, God's grace began to come on him and help him with that thing he wanted to overcome because God only helps us in our transparency in our honesty. God never helps us in our pretension. And the early church was not a church of pretension. It wasn't a church where people were pretending to be something they were not. It's a church where it was supposed to be pure. And we have this one incident in the book of Acts where we have this couple that's pretending. They're pretentious. They're presenting themselves as an image to be something that they're really not. They're presenting themselves as a certain way, but in reality, they're not at all the way they're appearing. And God wants to just sort of sever that out of the church. God wants to uh, exercise or get that out of the church because He doesn't want us to say, hey, listen, we've given all and we've surrendered to you. I was thinking about some of the songs we were singing today. We were singing, you know, I surrender... I surrender. And then the old hymn we used to sing, I surrender all, I surrender all. You know, when I think about some of those songs, it scares me to death that we're standing up and we're raising our hands in church and we're saying that we surrender all, we're giving all. But I wonder if that's really true because that's exactly the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. The sin of Ananias and Sapphira was, was that they had given all but in reality, there was something that they were holding back that they were not really giving to the Lord. So we have to be honest. We have to be w- without pretension. I remember I had this a young girl come in to see me for counseling one time, college girl and a wonderful young lady, just loved talking to her. And she uh, had been coming to Bayshore for a while and was regularly uh, a part of our church, and she was growing in her faith. And so she came to me to ask, to ask about guidance and decisions for the future, and we're uh, talking, and uh, just a wonderful young lady. 
And so she said to me, almost in passive as she left, she said, Pastor Danny, is it wrong for me, is it wrong for me to sleep with my boyfriend and to go with him on vacation and trips and all that? Is it wrong for me to do that? And I thought it was interesting that she asked me the question, which tells me she was thinking about that. So I could have said what you would expect me or some people would expect me to say, hey, listen, listen, everybody's doing that. Listen, hey, it's mo- what's modern world. We're all grown-ups. We're adults now. I mean, that's what many people would expect me to say. But I know what Hebrews 13 says. Hebrews 13 says that the marriage bed is to be kept pure and adulterers God will judge. That's what the Scripture says. Jesus said to the woman at, at the well, he said, you know, you've had five husbands, but the one you have now is not your husband. So I know Scripture doesn't endorse that. And so I looked at this wonderful young lady that I loved and cared about, and I looked at her, and I said, you know what? What's true for you and what's true for me? We cannot stand in the presence of a holy God at Bayshore and raise our hands and say, we've given all. When there's something in our life that we're holding back that the Holy Spirit has put His light on. You know what I know about this young lady? I knew this, that, that she was not convicted of that sin for a long time. And you know what? You, can, you know, you can commit, and we can commit some sins in ignorance. We don't know. We come to our faith in Jesus. We begin to follow Jesus. We begin to serve Jesus and all that. And, and, and we can come, and, and we don't, the Holy Spirit has not yet put his spotlight on that. And, and so we're not really responsible for that at that point. But she asked me the question because the Holy Spirit had taken the spotlight and put it on that part of her life. And I said to her with loving eyes, and just as her pastor, I said, listen, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I told her about some young people I know that are walking in purity. I said, you know, I know it's very, very hard, very difficult, but here is the bottom line. When Jesus points something out in our life, if we are going to give him everything, we can't say we've given everything to him if we hold something back. So in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, we have, this, we have this principle. The principle is the presentation of full surrender, the presentation of giving everything, but in reality, beyond that image is the reality of not giving everything. And so that's when I read the text and I look at the text. That's what convicts me. And I know that my pretension, if somebody says to me, uh, Pastor Danny, would you pray for me? I'm going through this hard thing. And I, I listen to them and they say, uh, Pastor Danny, will you pray for me? How many times have we patted someone on the back and say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. And we act real spiritual. We go away. We forget about it. And so, boy, every time somebody says to me, Pastor Dan, will you pray for me? Uh, you know, sometimes I'll just grab their hand right then because I don't want to lie. I don't present, pretend that I'm some kind of like uh, spiritual person all the time and, and don't pray for them. So I take their hands and pray for them. And if I don't do that, when I'm riding in the car, I try to remember, I, I gave an impression. I gave a commitment that I'm going to pray for that person and follow through on that. So it's important that pretension, the whole sort of image that we see in this story that that doesn't sort of uh, hijack the reality. And so God would rather us be completely honest, completely honest than be pretentious. And that's so important for us to, to do that. Now, I heard about this, this actually read this in the news, about this, uh, this guy that w- was a student, actually, 
He went to uh, Cairo, Egypt to go to the zoo. And I'll find his name in a second. Let me give you his name. Cool, kind of an interesting story. His name, his name is Mahmoud Sa- Sarahan. Mahmoud Sarahan. Cairo, uh, Egypt. He went, to, uh, he went to Cairo International Garden Municipal Park. So he went there to see the zebras. When he got there to look at the zebras, he discovered that they weren't zebras. zebras. They were basically donkeys painted to look like zebras. So he looked at these, what are supposed to be zebras, and he took a picture of them. And there was something wrong with those zebras, because the zebras were really donkeys, painted like zebras, and they even had a smudge of paint on their face. And here's a picture of these zebras here. And you see a little smudge on the face there? He put it, he put it on, uh, you know, on Facebook and multimedia and uh, and a physician or a, 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 a veterinarian said, hey, listen, uh, zebras have a black snout, and these don't have black snouts, and confirmed that these were not zebras, but they were donkeys painted like zebras. So there you go. The point of this message, here it is. This is the big point of today's message. This is, it's boiled right down to his, are you a zebra? Or are you a donkey painted like a zebra? That is the message. (laughs) Are you a zebra? Or are you a donkey painted like a zebra? We want to make sure you get this message today. It's important that we come to God in honesty. We come to God not pretending. We come to God in purity. We come to God if, if we're not there we need to come to God in complete honesty. I love what the man said uh, to Jesus in, in the Gospels. Uh, he had a little boy that needed to be healed, and he was worried about his little boy. And, he, and Jesus said to him, do you believe? Do you believe? And here's what he said. I love this. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but I'm still struggling to believe. You know, God can help people that are honest. I heard about the... Uh, John Claypool, famous pastor. John Claypool was uh, told the story one time about this sailor that was in Navy Hospital and he was dying, this wise old sailor, he was dying. And so they called the Catholic priest, a young Catholic priest, to come and do last rites on uh, this dying, wise old sailor. And the Catholic priest, the young Catholic priest, came in and he said, uh, said Padre, are you sorry for your sins? And the man said, to be honest, I'm not sorry for my sins. I've loved drinking the whiskey. I've loved every Jezebel and every port I've visited. To be honest, I know that's not what I'm supposed to say. I'm not sorry. And the young priest could have said, you old reprobate, you're going to go to hell and just walked away. But the young priest instead said, let me ask you another question. Are you sorry that you're not sorry for your sins. And the old sailor thought a moment and he paused and tears filled his eyes. He said, yes, I'm sorry that I'm not sorry. And he was forgiven. Say this when God can only help honest people. Ananias and Sapphira, they were 
pretentious, and it brought death to the church. Pretension and hypocrisy brings death to the church. It brings death to our community when we are not honest. Now, the part of the story, as we close, the part of the story that's difficult is this whole thing of uh, God uh, judging Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, how people handle this when you read uh, commentaries and theologians, what they say is, uh, you know, they're trying to do damage control for God. And so many of them say, well, God didn't really strike Ananias and Sapphira. It doesn't really say that. But when they were discovered, when their sin was discovered, and when Peter kind of called them on the carpet, when he exposed them, they were shocked and they went into cardiac arrest. And so they, didn't, you know, they were just psychologically, physiologically, you know, the shock of being exposed that they went into cardiac arrest and they died. Well, that really doesn't work. It doesn't work with the text. It just, it just is our way of trying to say God couldn't do that. God couldn't do that. We need to look at God in Scripture the way Scripture portrays God. God is a God of love. God is a God of compassion. God is a God of mercy. But God is a God of purity. God is a God of holiness. God is a God of righteousness. And so the God that we worship on Sunday morning is a God who loves us, a God of mercy, a God of grace, but he's also a God of holiness and a God of righteousness. So I stand before a God and I must hold him in reverence and I must hold him in awe. So, do you remember... How many remember typewriters? Do you remember typewriters? Raise your hand if you remember typewriters. That seems like forever ago. Do you remember whiteout? Do you remember whiteout? How many remember whiteout? You make a mistake and you put whiteout. But here's a picture of whiteout. We used to get this stuff by the, 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 the tractor trailer loads at British Shore. Whiteout. If you don't, you know, if you make a mistake, you kind of white it out. What we want to do this story is take white out, and we want to white out that part. But the truth is, let's think about Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias' name means God is gracious or God is merciful. Who are these people? These are people that have probably witnessed the death and resurrection of Jesus. They had a front row seat. They had a front row seat to the resurrection and the crucifixion of Jesus. They had a front row seat. They were probably at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. They were probably there when the 2,000 people were baptized. They were probably there when Peter healed the sick. And so they had this front row seat. They're standing at the epicenter of the birth of Christianity. And to whom much is given, much is required. They knew that God was a holy God. They knew that God was a righteous God. And somehow they thought that we'll sort of, we'll just, we'll snow God. We'll just, we'll deceive God. We'll deceive God and we'll pretend we are something that we're not. And God took that out of the church. This week um, I had uh, to take my dad to the doctor a couple times and the ER, different things are going on with my dad and and he was in, seeing different doctors, and more doctors see him this week. He's having a little bit of a uh, thing right now. And uh, one of the doctors we went to was not a dermatologist, but he discovered on my dad's ear, he's got some melanoma on, on, his, on his right ear. And so we're taking him Wednesday to get that taken care of and taken off his ear. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, melanoma is really, really a bad thing. Really, really a bad thing. 
and they're gonna cut it off. And I wonder, I wonder if the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and this whole story is a little bit about like God being the dermatologist over his body, that he wants to take out some melanoma. He doesn't want this church in the book of Acts to be full of pretension. He doesn't want this church to be full of hypocrisy. He doesn't want this church to be sort of, you know, saying one thing but doing another thing. He wants this church to be the model church of a pure church, a holy church, a loving church. I watched this week a little bit on Amazon Prime, Jack Ryan thing. Uh, it's not got some stuff in it, but it's an interesting Tom Clancy remake of one of his books, and Jack Ryan uh, is this uh, consultant analysis that works for the CIA. And Anyhow, they, they discover that there's this terrorist group in Yemen, and they've captured these uh, doctors, these doctors without borders, and the terrorists infect the doctors with Ebola, and then they release the doctors back into the U.S. population to infect the whole country. And I wonder if God in His grace, that if He somehow, He takes Ananias and Sapphira and their pretentious cancer, takes it out of that body. And what's the result? The result is many continue to believe and many were added to their number because the purity and the holiness of this great church was continued to be honored by the Lord. And so, my, my takeaway today is this week when I come before the Lord, I don't want to say, God, I'm giving everything when there's something I'm holding back. And if I'm holding back something, I'm going to say, Jesus, there's something I'm holding back. Help me to let that go. I'm not going to pretend, and maybe, maybe there's somebody in this church, you come here and, and you look like you're playing the part, but you've got some secret life going on. You've got something going on. You've got an affair. You've got something in the background. You're looking like Ananias and Sapphira, and you're lying to a lot of people, but you can never lie to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit knows every nook and cranny of our life. And so we come to Him in absolute purity and absolute holiness. Say this when God can only help and bless honest and real people. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I relate to that Ananias and Sapphira story because, you know, I, I say I give everything, but I know I'm holding back. And, uh, and maybe it's a part of your life that you need to kind of like, you know, surrender to Jesus today. Uh, the great missionary, um, great missionary Jim Elliott said these famous words as I close. Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Say it with me. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Would you lift your hands to the Lord in this holy place? We're in the presence of God. We're in the holy presence of a righteous God who knows our hearts. He knows everything about us. And so, Lord, we raise our hands before a God who sees everything. Your word says in Hebrews, the eyes of the Lord lay bare everything. The, eye, the whole earth is laid bare before the eyes of the Lord. So, Lord, we thank you that your eyes are on us, eyes of love, but also eyes of discernment. And so, Father, we surrender. We, let, we pray that our heart will be pure. We pray that all hypocrisy will be will be uh, eradicated out of our hearts.
And Lord, we come to you in our humility and our humbleness. And God, we don't pretend we need you. We want to be more like you. We have a long ways to go. There's parts of our life that we're holding back. And so we don't pretend we are where we are not, but we long to be where we know we need to be. So I pray for the Holy Spirit to be on this church this week where we go into the courtrooms, we go into the classrooms, we go into the business places. Where we go, Lord, we are your people. We pray that you'll bless us and help us. In Jesus' name, And everybody said amen, amen. If you love the Lord, say a big amen. amen. Let's give the Lord a praise offering. You guys are the best. We love you. Today, if you uh, need prayer, uh, both these tables are here. Communion prayer, whatever you need. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you. We love you guys.